Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the Bible texts that are assigned in many Christian churches for the third Sunday in Advent. Today, we'll hear about feeble knees on a highway, a call for patience in a time of grumbling, and the greatest prophet ever who just isn't sure. Welcome. So glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We are the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we're doing this podcast to talk about the readings uh, for the upcoming Sunday in the middle of December, the third Sunday in Advent. We are smack dab in the middle of this four-week season getting ready for Christmas. Sometimes these are called the middle days of Advent, and we hope the discussion of these readings today will help you engage the season and these readings more deeply. In our second season, we have been inviting special guests to be with us, and today we welcome Kathy Sadaka to the podcast. Kathy, we're really glad that you're here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Thank you. I just recently moved to Minnetonka for my day job. I work in finance where I've been for 25 years, and I have a husband and two children. Tell us about what you do around Gloria Day. So I've been a member for about 15 years, and um, I've, I've volunteered on various committees. Currently, I'm the vice president on the church council, getting ready to step into my role as president next spring. Well, let's jump right in, and we can uh, discuss a little more as we go. Our first reading on Sunday will be Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it. But it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. 
they shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. When I read this, I thought it was mostly kind of full of hope and sounds kind of exciting, but I also thought it sounded a little scary. Well, there's obviously fear has been living with these people for a long time. So they they know the fear. They know of things attacking them on the road or roads not being safe or um, hard times where they long for rain and the, the desert has dried up. Everything is dry and no, forsaken. So yeah, I think there's the sense of, you know, you know what fear is. Now I'm going to show you something to, to hope for. Where do you see the fear in the text? Well, for one thing, um, the highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. That sounds somewhat scary. That's when I start thinking, gosh, am I going to make the cut? Uh, Uh, Right. There's kind of, it sounds like there's a division between some get to be on the way and others don't get to be on the way. I've been thinking about this lately that um, things like this always sound scary to us. And like the the other part that I thought was kind of scary is earlier, uh, verse four, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. And, And I was thinking those things always sound scary to us. And I think our first reaction is like, uh, am I going to make the cut? He sounds angry. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also think we also talk all the time about wanting justice. And I feel like we don't actually get justice without judgment. Like those two things go together. We have to judge what the Bible would call wickedness if we're going to have justice. You almost have to hear this from the perspective of this little band of people who've been exiled to a faraway city and feel like everything they hoped for and thought was good has now fallen apart. And um, they believe that actually living with goodness and justice and peace would make the world better. And now they look out and all the people who are doing exactly the opposite are the ones who are in the powerful positions, who are running the show. You know, those who are lying are at the top of the, the system. And I think in that way, when you get to that, and the unclean, which is like those who are not living consistently with God's ideals, in the end, they're not going to be on the way. The ones who are at the edges and who are struggling to kind of make their way get put on the put on the road. Well, and we also have this beautiful image of all of that within within us too. Like so the 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 justice of God comes when God judges the parts of me that need to be purged. Well, why don't we take a break there and we'll come back with the second reading.
Welcome back. Our second reading is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So I noticed they mentioned patience four times. <laughs> in just a few verses, yeah. Right. Maybe that's supposed to be important to us. Well, and it's a common theme in these days of Advent of waiting, being hopeful, being patient. And um, I think of myself when I'm impatient, that's when my anxiety or my stress is kind of taking over and I, I lose track of the bigger picture of things or I just, I just want something right now, which I think our culture, our economy actually schools us to feel. We we really want to have everything in an instant. You know, we can touch the app and it's ordered and it's at our door a day later. Maybe a drone could bring it today yeah, if we need right. it right yeah. now. Yeah, let's yeah. hope it gets faster because right now <laughs> I need to wait so long. <laughs> Which is all counter to what the image of Advent is about, that we have the sense of patience and longing for God's ways to be realized. The whole focus of Advent is kind of quiet anticipation, but also active that we're in the midst of that doing things to prepare. I think our culture just gets focused on the the preparation should be frenzied and wild because your Christmas has to be over the top perfect and it probably won't be because you don't have the right present yet and you haven't cleaned enough and you haven't, you know, your your kitchen doesn't look right, like doesn't look anything like the one on TV. And, you know, you're just desperate to get all the stuff done, which is not at all the anticipation described by James here in this text. So I'll confess, I don't know, this isn't a book that I am an expert on, but what I do know about James is that I, I think this is the one of the letters where I think the author is very concerned about actions matching words. That if we say we are followers of Christ, then our actions ought to match that. And I think um, we've talked about this a few times in recent episodes that back in the earliest days of the Christian church, people were expecting Jesus to come any day now. And so there was almost a sense of like, uh, what's the point of even, let's just sit back and wait for Jesus to come and fix everything. And I think James, just like several of the um, the lessons we've read recently sort of deal with that, um, that problem, I think James is also dealing with a similar situation. And um, I think this call for patience is about reminding people, Jesus is coming, wait for it. But in the meantime, don't just sit around like we do, this is going to require some patience, but that doesn't mean we just get to sit back and and wait around and do nothing. One thing I was noticing is that their impatience is causing them to grumble against one another. So like being patient isn't just this internal place that we have to 
get to. But when we're impatient, it affects people around us. We spread that energy and um, grumble the, against one, one another, another is right, what the text right. says. Yeah. We start picking at each other. When I'm in my good space, I can see the long view of things, you know, and I can kind of settle. It's like, all right, I don't have to do everything today. Or we, the church doesn't have, we don't have to do everything well all at once. We can work on this part for a while and then we'll come back to a later part. When I'm in the good place, I can, I can see the big picture and think, we'll get to that. It's a, it's, it'll be okay. We'll, We'll get there. Just take a deep breath. Hang hang on. When I'm not and that criticism comes, I fight back, you know, or I get defensive. And I think that's exactly this kind of dynamic here in, that was happening in James Christian community, which is kind of good to know the church has always been the same. <laughs> it's always been all personalities. I love the image of the, the farmer here, um, the sense of you know, farmers recognize you can't plant the seed and expect it to harvest that day. You know, it's going to, there's going to be a process. There are things to do along the way. And I think that gets to what you were talking about, Pastor Javen, the sense of, it doesn't mean you just sit by idly. You don't know any farmers that just take the summer off after the seeds are in and they just sit down until the harvest is ready. There's, there's action that you're taking throughout the year to prepare the crop and, and to tend it. There is a sense of, you can't, hurry some of this. Some of it's going to wait. And some of our longing during Advent is that kind of, there are things we can do to help prepare, but there's a sense of in God's time, things happen that we we don't get to call or control. Right. I really like that too, that it, there's a certain amount of trust that's involved mm-hmm. to say, there's maybe something going on here that I just can't even see with my own eyes. And I'm just going to trust that there's some good thing happening in this. I think it's interesting that it says, um, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near, which makes it sound like it's pretty imminent. And there's a lot of places in the Bible that make this sound imminent, which I think for thousands of years, people have been saying any day now. Right, right. Could be Tuesday. I mean, that sense, it's always, especially in the New Testament, you get the sense that they expected it right now. I mean, before the month is over, for sure, you know, and now we've lived lived with that kind of anticipation for a while, so we, we still get real grumbly, you know, as we're trying to anticipate what does that mean for us. Part of the Advent joy is recognizing God comes in the midst of the waiting, too. I just discovered a website called Rapture Ready um, that tells you it, they've got like a score for how, how near. Oh, uh, did you take it? How am no, I doing? It tells you just right now based on world oh. events and whatever. Oh, like, oh, it's like a, a whole, personal inventory. No, no, no. Like, like are you a, ready to go? <laughs> right. No, no, no. It's a whole category of like how many wars are happening in the world and da 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 Earthquakes. Um, our score right now is 181, okay. which is very high. Anything over 160 is um, call, is considered buckle up. <laughs> so so we're in the buckle. But my, here's my question. Has it ever not been buckle up? Right. You know, down is to it ever, 140 or ever. The language of the end is near is designed mainly for us to open our eyes and just to be attentive. And it's not to be afraid. It's to be present, I think, you know, to, to see uh, – what's happening right in front of our eyes. And often we hear all that end time 
talk as something to be afraid of. And I really don't think that's what the authors in scripture were meaning for their communities. I think they were trying to instill hope and expectation to them in a world that was looking pretty bad. The score was pretty high. Mm -hmm. Buckle up. Buckle up, baby. Let's pause there and we'll be back. We're back. Our gospel reading for today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So the first thing that struck me about this is that it seems like he's ridiculing John to the crowd. I think he's criticizing their questions about John, that they, they don't, they're not really sure who, if Jesus is the one or is John the one or whatever. And Jesus is saying, did you expect the one that would come to talk about what's happening, what God would be doing in the world, would be real soft and breezy? You know, because <laughs> right. it's it, there, there's some big changes happening in the world when when God's ways are going to be enacted. Maybe it, it's back to that justice that you were talking about before, Pastor Javen. The sense of there, it's not going to be, you know, light and <laughs> tinsel all the time. There's going to be tough changes that happen in our own lives and in the lives around us, in the world around us. So it's not just going to be like a little little breed out there that the wind could blow over. Expect, expect John's kind of preaching. Expect John's kind of ferocity because there's there's changes God wants to bring to the world. Well, and Kathy, I, I like that you kind of highlight the uncertainty of this text. Like what are they... What are they saying here? What do they mean? And... Um, even John, you know, he, he's uncertain. He wants to know, are you the one or should I should I keep waiting? And I kind of like this idea that 
the guy who's supposed to be the greatest prophet, you know, to usher in this new age and be the messenger, isn't exactly sure what he should be looking for. And so the people aren't sure what to look for. The prophet isn't sure what to look for. And at least for me, that highlights kind of sometimes my own faith experience. It's like, where, what should I be looking at? Where should I be paying attention? And uh, you think of all the different voices in Christianity, people across the spectrum claiming to speak, they know exactly what God's word is. And maybe introducing a little uncertainty into that isn't bad, you know? Is that the voice I should be listening to or should I be listening to something else? It makes me think about how clear things often are in retrospect. Like when we look back, when we when we write the history and tell the story, it's all very the all the little dots connect very clearly, but when we're in the moment, it's very uncertain. like we don't actually see the full picture. Um and it feels like that's a little bit what's going on here with John that We've always thought of John as the one who points to Jesus and says, he's the one. Um, but here we have John sitting in prison wondering, is Jesus the one? I better send these people to go ask him, like, are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for? Well, and he's in prison. Yeah, right. So there's that sense of, now, wait a second. If we're ushering in the new reign of God, I don't think I have to end up in jail, do I? And of course, John, there's there's worse coming in John's near future. Um yeah, so I think that sense of wait, why, why, if God is doing these marvelous things around us and is just about at the door, ready to you know usher it all in, are we in prison or experiencing all this kind of loss or oppression or pain? Right. He probably thought he was going to reap the benefits of this one who was coming, but instead he's in a dark, nasty cell and about to be served on a platter. You know, it's like this is this is not going to go well for John. He's you know, he can maybe see the writing on the wall like this is not. It makes me wonder is he even questioning his own message? Hmm. Like he'd been I mean, he's so bold and fiery when he's preaching at the Jordan River and there is no uncertainty or doubt in him that seems to come through. But now at this turn, he's maybe questioning what he's been about. And have I been saying the the wrong thing? Did I miss the point? Did I get the wrong one? And I love that Jesus's response is really simple. Like, go and tell John what you've seen. Blind people see again. Lame, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. Like, it's just the, there's no argument here. Just go and tell John the truth about what's happened. Right. I thought it was kind of funny. It was sort of like, Look at all this stuff, all these miracles I've done. Duh. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, right. He's not making like a theological argument about or like trying to point to scripture and say, and see, remember when Isaiah said this and now this and but it's just the the blind see. Go and tell him that. Well, and maybe this is an invitation for us to kind of see what is miraculous in our lives. And those miracles may not look as dramatic as here in this text, but you think of the acts of kindness that someone shows or uh, in the church, like on Sunday morning when we're, when we're finished, I often 
see people standing talking to each other and I know that what's being shared is real, raw, painful stuff. And there's someone who's there for them. They're not alone. And to me, it's like, okay, you, if you want to know if there's a God, yeah, I'll make some, I could make some philosophical argument. But the real proof, go look in the church and see how people talk to one another. It's interesting that despite all these miracles, people were still questioning too. Like, hmm, okay, but <laughs> are you really, you know, that it's, you're seeing these crazy things happening. Right, right. And again, I think that's like the retrospect thing. When you go back and write the story, you write it in these in much grander terms probably than it was actually experienced at the time. Or we write in poetic, metaphorical ways because we're trying to say – something on the ground looks kind of simple and ordinary, but our experience of it is extraordinary. And so we want to talk about the extraordinary nature of it. So we use dramatic, artistic, beautiful language. Well, maybe that's a good place to stop. We're interested to know what you think this all means, so feel free to drop us an email at pastors at org. Thank you to you, Kathy Sedaka, yes, for you, being Kathy. our guest. It was really great to have you here. You're a natural. Thank you. Thank you to Paul Friesen Carper for providing the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts. Join us every Sunday morning at either 8.15 or 10.45 with Sunday School for All Ages at 9.30 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that... God is with you. Be patient. God loves you. And God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting. And they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com. 